2: LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, k 5 t Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
1: Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 360. 360 degrees. We've come full circle on the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Ham Shack, and we welcome you in. And I am Russ, K5TUX.
3: And I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD.
1: And we will be doing our short topics episode for tonight. And we have several topics that we've uh, come across and tried very hard not to use Southgate Amateur Radio Club to uh, access. <laughs> <laughs> Although... They are quite the clearinghouse for news, so it's kind of hard to avoid it, but uh, I, think we only, I think I only had to put in one tonight, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, hopefully, all this stuff is new and interesting, and uh, it may be even a little bit educational, but before we get into our topics for tonight, we probably want to touch on the QSO Today Ham Expo, which sort of started and ended this past weekend. And uh, I think actually turned out better than we anticipated. It certainly generated a lot of interest for Linux and the Ham Shack. Lots of people stopped by, our Discord community ballooned. Uh we also had many more signups on uh, the other social media platforms and especially YouTube. So that means we're going to have to start doing YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so what did you think of the whole thing, Bill?
4: Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. We had a lot of good conversation. I mean, it started early. You know, the uh, keynote was Friday evening for us here in the U.S. And uh, shortly thereafter, I popped into the uh, chat room and we already had people had joined and were chatting away in there. Uh, Not just the ones that were trying to get the points for the uh, whole game, but like uh, some people are actually uh, want to tell us a story and tell what they're doing with Linux and stuff like that. So we had a lot of great conversations as early as Friday night. And that definitely spilled into Saturday when I think that was probably the busiest day on the chat channel. I think at one point there was over 350 people that had passed through that channel before things reset Saturday night. And uh, we got back down to about 60 or 70 on Sunday. But, um, yeah, it was really good. And we got a lot of traction in Discord. I noticed our numbers virtually doubled in our Discord channel. So, Hopefully, we'll see those online numbers and activity during the uh, live streaming pickup. And I also saw that uh, we picked up some uh, merchandise sales that we'll probably mention, too. And uh, you said uh, we also got some subscriptions, I believe.
1: We did get some new subscribers, and we did get some merchandise sales. We'll touch on that when we get to the social media roundup. So that'll be down at the end. And lots of followers on, like I said, the social media platforms. So it uh, was that you or me?
4: That was me I was spitting part of my cigar out, sorry okay, <laughs> sounded like I had a bad pot, <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it's a bad pot. I was spitting it out <laughs> no. Oh, and no. I, also, I also caught some of the uh some of the uh, uh, uh tracks and um yeah, see, uh, I gotta yeah. go back to those. I didn't get a chance to see any of them, yeah, I caught a few of them while I was uh kind of, uh, you know, answering stuff in the chat room and then I was at three, you know, three screens up here. So I was watching and uh, caught a few of them and it was pretty good content. I have to say, uh, definitely some stuff I want to go back on and, and watch that I didn't get to watch. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting cause you know, a lot of that stuff was pre-recorded cause they wanted it to be the best quality they could to get it out. And then they had the live Q and a sessions afterwards. So I didn't get to participate in any of those, the live Q and a sessions cause I was already kind of doing, The live q a in our booth (laughs) right um but uh, i didn't get to be on there much sunday i was so tied up with uh, another project here in town but what was sunday like
1: i wasn't actually able to get on much on sunday either i i popped into the chat a few times and uh you know directed people to answers when they asked them and said hello to the folks who said hello as they wandered on by and so on didn't get a chance to set up any youtube stream for the second day because you were and, busier
3: than a one-armed paper hand. Yeah, yeah it was, things
1: were busy around here, and I also got uh, tied up in my retroPie project. So, yeah, uh, I think
4: I think that's the thing with the virtual conferences. There's only so much time I want to devote to sitting in a chair. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know, well, going to hand bench is different. You know, we're standing up, we're talking the whole time, and you know, right.
3: Plus, you, you know. can make a run for the bathroom and do some shopping while you're gone or whatever. Well, so. you
4: could do that during this, too, I suppose. I mean, you know. oh, well, Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just much easier to kind of feel like you can walk away from it.
3: Right, and come yes, back in a half virtual, hour or it's whatever. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, who
4: cares? You know, it's, it's virtual. You know, everything's being recorded. But, yeah, like, you know, the thing that would kind of, you know, not be recorded is the live chat going on. <laughs> so, right. Although,
1: I imagine somebody recorded that because they were using Zoom, so... Yeah, but I I don't sure. know that those will be available. You know, post probably not. I mean, it doesn't seem they like should. it'd be particularly
4: useful, but maybe
3: Zoom Zoom usually allows you to save that stuff. So
4: yeah, well, that, most of that was a uh, YouTube and and some some of it was Zoom, but mostly YouTube. The so, videos themselves, yeah,
1: right. So overall, I would say that it was a success. I mean, I I don't know how much it cost Eric and his crew to put that on, and but I I certainly hope it wound up being worth it. I think. For for us anyway, on our participation level, it was much higher than I expected and the interface actually seemed to smooth out right before they went live with it. So <laughs> that's um, although it was a little clunky like first the very first, you know, hour I think. It was a little weird. But um, but overall I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I think we had a lot of engagement and I would assume that other vendors had a lot of engagement as well. I haven't heard directly from any of them, but you know, I come. They're they're big. They probably yeah. talk to lots of people. So. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean, I poked around some of the other chat rooms, and I talked with uh, George over there at the uh, Ham Radio Workbench uh, podcast, and um, yeah, he was getting a lot of people talking over there in their chat room and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it was, I think it was good for everybody that was having uh, having chats and and getting people on and stuff like that. So, so yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, I I don't know if like two times a year would be great. Just because of you know, if we were to have a booth twice extra year, <laughs> it would be a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but see, here's the thing: if you if you get everything
3: put together for conference A, then you've got ninety nine percent of it done for conference B.
4: Yeah, but like you know, that's the thing is is like it's the time and devoting the time to it, right? So, and it's like you know, I kind of wanted to devote time like we do at hamvention and it's it's much easier when you're there because right. like where else are you gonna be <laughs> yeah right yeah, <laughs> i might yeah. be walking over and looking at the latest tricks over in uh, you know the the icon booth or the mfj booth or whatever but you know that's only for a few minutes while i you know go catch my breath and take a leak or something right. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah in general we're like we're there and you know it's non-stop so um yeah it's, it's just a little different different kind of thing you know, I mean I, I work in you work know, working a computer all day long, so the last thing I want to do is spend my whole weekend working on a computer. <laughs> yeah. So, so it does make it a little a little tiresome. I'm good for like one full day and I could definitely do like an extended day event but like a multi-day event i think uh, you know might have to think about trading off a day or two like you, know, you do a you do one day i do the other or something <laughs> well i think participation
1: in general on sunday was way down over saturday so it might behoove them to just make it a one day one day
3: thing right
1: i, I think yeah. there's only enough content there i mean the only thing that the only thing that would spill over i guess would be the presenters i mean there was obviously a lot more presentation content well, than could, there was. Could
3: they not extend the day? By
4: yeah, an they could hour extend the day or, or they could have more than four tracks. And, right. Uh, like they had a lot of time between sessions. So like that's what I noticed when I was kind of watching them. One would finish up and like, you know, I don't know if they had specifically said your 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 track needs to be this long for this time period so we can have you know, this much time for Q and a or something like that. But it seemed like some of were really short and then it was like, you know, 30, 30 minutes or so to the next one. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, especially when you're doing it like that, you could almost start the next one and the people that want to do Q and a can go over and do the Q and a and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. They just but.
3: they just did the Pampered Stuff National Conference online because obviously we couldn't go to it. Yeah. Um they allowed an hour for every session. Forty minutes of that was for the actual presenter to cover their stuff, and then twenty minutes they they picked and chose questions out of the the Zoom chats
0: yeah.
3: uh to cover. And they spent, you know, twenty-ish minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes covering those. But there was, and there was a thirty-minute gap between all those sessions. But everybody this year said, "Don't, don't do that," because in yeah. that thirty minutes, my kids needed me, and I ended up missing the next session. You know, shorten that gap up to like ten or fifteen minutes it's yeah i think more that's reasonable in, so. people that
4: want to have like an extended conversation they can go on and do that on a one-on-one basis with, right uh, with the person so but yeah i think i think it was great for their first uh first stab at this you know a definitely way different dynamic than any of the other uh um uh you know zoom events or stuff like that so i do have to give it to them on that it's like it is a it was a kind of a totally different feel than um yeah, you know, let's say like the like Contest University was or um the other I think uh, the YouTubers web conference or something like that, which was a little bit kinda all over the place. But um but yeah, yeah, it was really organized and it was kinda nice. It was all on one platform. Um, but yeah, I'd still, I'd still question more than one time a year. But, but uh, yeah, if he can, if he can make it successful for you know a couple times a year, you know that might, it might fly for for a while while things are uh, in a lockdown state.
3: Yeah, hopefully this doesn't carry on for too many more years.
4: <laughs> years? Let's let's try for months. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hey, let's let's move on from that. I think to amateur radio.
1: Yes, on to amateur radio. And since this first topic is yours and the next I'll one is it. mine, I will let you read it.
4: Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so this is a uh, uh, new 2,700 kilometers plus uh, IARU region one tropo record on 23 centimeters. On the 17th of July 2020, there was an opening between the Canary Islands and the UK and Ireland off uh, on the VHF and UHF bands. A remarkable contact was made on 1296 megahertz between... Echo Alpha 8, Charlie X-Ray November, and Echo India 2, Fox Golf, which turned out to be a new IARU Region 1 tropo record for the 23-centimeter microwave band. In a report on his website, Caesar uh, or Cesar, uh, Echo EA8CXN reports that there was a good tropo opening on July 17, 2020, and uh, in the evening... EA8CXN completed contacts with uh, G7RAU, G4LOH, and EI20Charlie on 432 megahertz. Uh, Echo India20Charlie mentions that John. Echo India 2, Fox Golf. <laughs> all these silly call signs. More, more booze. <clears throat> I should have watched all these call signs. Is also active on 1296. So tests began. Uh, G7 RAU is the first to complete a successful contact on single sideband on 1296 200 using just five watts into a 56 element Yagi. A uh, 56 element Yagi. So what's Holy the, cow. what's the game on that bad boy? <laughs> I, I did the math earlier. <laughs> uh, five watts into 56 elements. Um, Ends up being a lot of power. I wouldn't be anywhere near the front of that antenna. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, well, my my math, if you give one dB per element after the, the major gain, which pretty much stops at about seven elements, because um, after seven, you get about one dB per element. That's basically the rough math. It's plus or minus, you know, and it's a all, little bit. Right. Right. Well, let's just say it was probably north of five hundred thousand watts at the end of the channel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Are you sure you're doing that math right? Uh, it was pretty. It was. It was like. It was like over sixty dB of gain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was like, after I started doubling, 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 I'm like, oh man, this is way too much power here. <laughs> yeah, 56 elements is a lot of gain. So anyway, <laughs> apparently, apparently, some of the some of the water between the Canary Islands and England was turning to steam as they were having this. Yeah, episode. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully there are no, uh, you know, nobody with uh, you know. Uh, in childbearing years in front of that antenna. Well, at least it wasn't
1: on two meters, so it wasn't resonant on uh, human height frequency.
4: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) G4LOH also completed a contact. After a period of deep QSB, a successful single sideband contact was completed with... uh, EI-2FG on 23 centimeters. With a 5-1 and 5.4 reports exchanged, the distance was an amazing 2714 kilometers 2,714. Not only was this the first contact ever between Ireland and, and, the, and the Canary Islands on 1296, but it was also a new IARU region one tropo record for 23 centimeters so there you go that that's that's pretty amazing for uh for 1296 so but also a 56 element beam is pretty amazing too (laughs) (laughs) I want pictures of that I I did I was looking around to see if there was any pictures of it but yeah that boom length has to be pretty uh pretty significant for that many elements
1: yeah that's quite the antenna
4: And that came to us from um, EI7GL's blog. So, uh, you know, it might not be verified or anything like that, but, you know, it's probably good enough. Maybe it'll be verified later on. All right. So, moving on, I had
1: a hybrid helical antenna for geosynchronous repeaters. Lots of big words in there. (laughs) Hams like to say that working in contact in space can be done with a simple handheld transceiver and a homemade antenna. That's really only true for low Earth orbit satellites, LEOs such as the International Space Station. If you want to reach a satellite in geosynchronous orbit, it'll take a little more effort, and this dual-feed helical could really help, or helical, if you prefer. Until recently, the dream of an amateur radio repeater in geosynchronous orbit remained out of reach, but that has changed with the launch of Qatari satellite Asail 2, otherwise known as QO-100, last year. And I believe we talked about the launch of that at some point. Since then, hams from Brazil to Thailand have been using the repeater. The antenna presented is a hybrid design needed because of the 2.4 gigahertz band uplink and 10 gigahertz band downlink. Both require a large dish antenna with the downlink requiring a low noise LNB and feed horn. The uplink side is a helical design with three and a half turns of heavy copper wire and tuning section of copper strapping that attaches directly to an N-type connector. The helix is just the right size for the feed horn of an LNB for the downlink side nestled in a hole in the helical antenna's aluminum reflector disc. There are 3D printed parts to support everything, plus a cone-shaped uh, radome to keep it all safe from the elements. And that came from Hackaday. And there's also a YouTube video which explains what you need and how to build one of these helical antennas, which is only useful for people who are not in IARU Region 2 because we can't reach it. <laughs>
4: yeah, this is the one that sits over top of uh, the DRC, right? Right. Yeah, Zaire. Right. Yeah, Zaire. Now, <laughs> now now the Democratic uh, Democratic Republic of the
1: Congo. Yes. Uh. Yeah. So if if you're in the Middle East or the you know Asia Pacific region or even I guess some parts of Europe and South America, you can you can get to this satellite, but we here in North America cannot.
4: No, it's a little too far for us, yeah.
1: So sad but true. So this might be the start of other geosynchronous satellites for repeater use in orbit. We don't know, but uh it certainly opened the door for it. So maybe there will be one over us at some point, and we'll all be able to use these uh skybound repeaters, which would be kinda cool. And if you do, you can build one of these helical antennas. So there you go. All right, Cheryl. Yes. Are you busy? Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> good recipe okay i'll read it all right <laughs> so yeah this one is a smartphone app identifies unknown data modes there's a myriad of radio signals it's impossible to know them all let alone recognize them that's where signal id comes in at the moment it recognizes about 20 signals with only about five seconds of recording time to use it set the frequency the frequency range and bandwidth place the microphone of the telephone near the speaker, press the button, and wait five seconds. It's kind of like the music app. <laughs> kind of like A, Shazam, yeah. But yeah for, for Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> except, except for digital signals. Right. A quiet environment is best for proper decoding. The algorithm is based on frequency. A wrong tuning of your radio SDR will result in an erroneous detection. Well, that tells me it's using some... Uh, some uh, key indicators like frequency to know that what should be there uh the recording is limited to five seconds of practical uh for practical reasons recognition of the signal may require several attempts if you notice bugs have remarks or suggestions please leave a comment the app is open as open source published on github and available for android devices yeah android and that came to us from southgate and in the show notes you'll find links to that github and youtube
1: Yes, sir. And uh, as far as the open source is concerned, it is GPL v3. Sweet. All right. So that is the end of our amateur radio topics for tonight. So we're going to slide gracefully into open source, and Bill's going to tell us about uh, something that I actually found out about today independently of this story. So go for (laughs) it.
4: You've been pwned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but. Oh, uh, Oh, geez, what did I just do? Oh, no. Don't 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 do whatever you're doing. Yeah, I just hit a <laughs> button on my computer. Anyway, so yeah, this is uh, I'm open sourcing, not me. Uh, t- Troy Hunt is open sourcing the I Have I Been Pwned uh code base. So yeah, Troy Hunt reports on his blog. Uh, quote: I've been giving a great deal of thought to how I want this project to evolve lately, especially in the wake of an M and A process that ended early that earlier this year, right back where I started, with me being solely responsible for everything. The single most important objective of the process was to seek a more sustainable future for the Have I Been Pwned uh, code base and product, and that uh, desire hasn't changed. The project cannot be solely dependent on me. Yet that's where we are today, and if I disappear – that sounds pretty ominous (laughs) – H-I-B-P uh, quickly withers and dies. As I've given further thought to the future since the M&A process, uh, the significance of community contributions have really hit home. Every single byte of data that's been loaded into the system in recent years has come from somebody who freely offered it in order to improve the security landscape for everyone. Many of the services that HIPB runs on are provided free by the likes of CloudFare. Much of the code that's been written has drawn on community contributions either by virtue of content people have published publicly or support that's been provided to me directly. And obviously I didn't short link this, but yeah, this is over on Troy Hunt's uh, personal blog. And I believe he's also a Microsoft employee. So there you go. Um, Yeah, that should be available. I don't know when it's going to be actually posted at GitHub or whatever. I think those details are still being worked out. And, yeah, he does work for Microsoft as a regional director and MVP. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it came up at work for some reason
1: <laughs> shortly, <laughs> shortly before I uh, read this article. So I'll have to look more into that. But
4: anyway, moving on, we have... Oh, yeah, I did mess that up. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> see i put links in the wrong spot when i was doing this stuff okay we'll have to fix that Never mind. yeah no problem <laughs> first point versions of ubuntu
1: 2004.1 lts arrives with a lot of bug fixes do they fix the one where the computers keep locking up <laughs> um, <That's gnome>. the, <laughs> the point release of ubuntu 2004 mostly includes a number of bug fixes for packages security hardware and installation media updates This is the reason most people wait to get the most stable and bug-free version of the new Ubuntu LTS. It also contains fixes for the recent boot hole. Boot hole, I love that one. Better cover your boot hole. A bug which affected most Linux distributions using Grub2 bootloader with Secure Boot. Unfortunately, Ubuntu 2004.1 does not come with a new hardware enablement stack, HWE, if you want to abbreviate that which is often included in a first-point release. Hence, 2004.1 ships with the same Linux kernel 5.4 as in 2004. With this release, all users using the previous Ubuntu 18.04 LTS will now receive notification very soon for an automatic upgrade to 2004.1 LTS. However, if you wish to upgrade your Ubuntu 18.04 19.10 to 2004.1 right now, you can do the same thing using Force Upgrade. And no source
4: on that. Where was that? That came from Fossbytes boss bites okay yeah sorry i'm getting i'm getting the link into the show notes right now i just like i don't know how i missed it
1: yeah we're just making the show as we go it's like
4: <laughs> yeah we have no show prep whatsoever here we're just uh, winging this uh <laughs> i just got my google windows open and that's what we're doing here yeah, uh, <laughs> we're just running down the internet all righty well the next story comes to us from let's see if i actually did this one. Oh yeah Foss post so hey we got a lot of fos in here fos bites and fos gee we got a lot of fos how about that fos what the fos <laughs> anyway so yeah can LibreOffice 7.0 be the awaited microsoft office alternative that's the question that's trying to be answered here in this article by Foss post or on it,
1: it, post. it will be the same time that it's the year of Linux on the desktop.
4: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, if you if you haven't known about this, but LibreOffice has just recently released the seven dot O series, um, and it's actually a pretty good product. But anyway, here's here's what the article had to say. LibreOffice is one of the most well-known open-source office suites out there. It starts as a continuation of OpenOffice, which is no longer under active development after Oracle bought its parent company and destroyed it. Oh, I mean, and, uh, sorry, that wasn't in there. Uh, parent company Sun in 2010 and destroyed it. And Oh, sorry. God, I keep on putting that in there. Uh, version 7 of LibreOffice was released yesterday. So, whenever this article was, I didn't read the date. Uh, sometime last week, I think. With tons of improvements, every Everywhere, both in performance and in the overall user interface but can LibreOffice 7.0 be the long awaited microsoft office alternative and to what level can com- companies organizations and governments depend on it to use instead of microsoft office so i cut all the gobbledygook out and i'm just going to tell you the highlighted improvements that the article mentions which obviously aided in the support of the actual uh conclusion here. So here's the highlighted improvements. It's uh, a LibreOffice now exports files in the native Microsoft Office 2013, 2016, 2019 formats instead of depending on the compatibility layer of Microsoft Office 2007. This means that documents, spreadsheets, and presentations written in LibreOffice will now be better displayed in Microsoft Office. And I really think the only one that had the most problems with that is, is, is the PowerPoint one. So that's really cool that they fixed that. Uh, opening Microsoft Office PowerPoint presentations became also better in 7.0. Hey, I just said that. How about that? <laughs> you were reading ahead. Yeah, I didn't even read that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was just thinking about. Uh, support for ODF 1.3 format, which is the open source format for exporting documents. Uh, let's see here. New Icon themes for both Windows and Mac OS, making LibreOffice look much, much better. Uh, Linux users can also use the Icon's themes on their Linux distributions if they wish to u- uh, Wish to from the Settings Manager. The underlying OpenGL graphics engine in LibreOffice for Windows was replaced with the Vulkan-accelerated Skya graphics li- library, making 2D drawings and the overall rendering of LibreOffice much better and faster. Mo' better. Mo' faster. Uh, PDF UA export support, PDF generation larger than 5,500 centimeters now supported. I guess that means you can start doing bigger advertising uh, banners and stuff like that for print. Uh, XLSX sheet names with more than 31 characters are also now supported. Well, that's great because I don't think that's supported in uh, Excel. (laughs) 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 It starts breaking real quick. Uh, Basic high DPI fractional scaling for KDE Qt uh, 5 is now implemented. And a number of bug fixes, performance improvements, and language translations were added. And I believe they also changed the interface a little bit. the uh, The menuing interface looks a lot better, and they also added like a sort of a ribbon interface to be, you know, semi comfortable for uh, Microsoft Office users. So it looks it looks quite sexy. I haven't upgraded mine yet, so I'm I'm, I'm going to actually go do that shortly here. But anyway, the article conclusions. Uh, were this so to sum it up, LibreOffice 7 is a great Microsoft Office alternative. It has uh, become way more powerful in dealing with MS Office files and documents. Its performance went way up in the release and this release, thanks to the new graphics engine and with general enhancements of the user interface and other existing areas. LibreOffice continues to become one of the best open source Office suites out there. And that came again from Fosspost.
1: And I have to agree with that because at work we, inter- we use, uh, libreoffice and office office uh interchangeably and even office 365 and no one seems to complain about one written in one and loaded into another and then saved and then loaded back in the other one and so on and so forth so i would say it does its job well
4: yeah yeah and i've i've kind of used libreoffice as like uh sort of a Test bed too once in a while to see how well some of the old VBA stuff that I have <laughs> with VBA macros and stuff run, and believe it or not, it, it actually runs really well with zero modification. So uh, if you have some of those ugly, ugly macros. <laughs> <laughs> in your spreadsheets uh give them a try in uh in lever office and uh, see see how well they are i mean mine even includes database connections and 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 stuff like that so uh yeah it uh it's actually quite impressive and it would be uh it would be uh Probably a good time for you know those CTOs and stuff like that making those decisions of which platforms to go into to start looking at LibreOffice seriously now because uh, with the performance improvement it uh, I think it uh, it's definitely a contender. Yeah,
1: I have to agree. I, I agree 100. percent I'm looking forward to seeing how seven performs compared to uh, six dot whatever it is now. Um, this uh, this graphics library change. Should be a game changer as far as because, uh, you know, open it up or LibreOffice rather seems a, a bit clunky still, yeah. especially when it starts up for the first time. And even Windows still has like a a pre-startup option so you can get some of the heavy lifting out of the way before you actually want to fire it up to, to make it a little smoother.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Which is I don't like that stuff running. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that stuff
1: running either. So, yeah, it is
4: what it is. Anyway, so check out LibreOffice
1: new version 7. Officially coming very, very soon. And now we slide deftly into Linux in the Ham Shack, and we only have one topic in here for tonight. Sad but true, but we're going to let Bill handle (laughs) it, because this is something Bill is doing all on his little own self.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cause I, so many people had mentioned ham clock and I don't think we'd ever talked about it, but I always, I always remember like, wow, I should probably mention this. So anyways, uh, ham clock and let me, let me, uh, let me get the verbiage right. Cause I didn't write any notes here. <laughs> what is ham clock? Well, ham clock is basically a uh, application that gives you sort of a little GUI. Uh, information. Think of it like a uh, geocron, if you're familiar with that product that shows the world map and then you know some information like your call sign and uh, um, uh, solar weather information. That's information for ham radio operators because we like you know knowing what the A index is and stuff like that and a, a sunspot number and whatnot. Um, so basically this is this is that in the open source format made for uh originally for just a raspberry I think it was actually originally an Arduino setup uh according to the original document and uh, project that I can see but uh the article I was looking at was uh, from Delta Lima one golf kilo kilo and uh, he was putting it on his raspberry Pi and I was like oh i could I could Bring my Pi out. I have a screen for the Pi and stuff like that, but I got kind of lazy today and I'm like, oh, I got this Credit Toshiba tablet that I have Fedora Core 32 installed on. Let me just see if I can compile it on there and run it. And sure as crap, with the same instructions <laughs> for Raspberry Pi, and actually I didn't have to do anything except for install Make on uh, Fedora because I really hadn't set it up for doing uh, any compiling and stuff like that. Uh, I was able to compile it and run it right away, and it comes up with. Uh, the wonderful screen, and you just touch the window that as it, as it opens to configure it. And it asks you for your call sign, so you put that in there. It asks you if you want to just do a IP geolocate or if you want to actually type in your location. And uh, I just let it do the IP because I'm lazy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it actually comes up and runs on this little tablet. So I was kind of thinking I would maybe use this tablet just for this screen because it's already got a screen and it's so horribly slow (laughs) that it's pretty much useless for every other purpose and uh yeah it shows a map of the u.s with a nice little uh uh you got the 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 sun line so you can see the dark part of the earth and the light part of the earth and it's also hooked up to a uh um uh, DX cluster so you can see spots of uh, stations that are actively talking and stuff like that to each other which is kind of slick and you can add all other kinds of stuff to it a lot of people have and uh, it shows clocks your local clock it shows uh, your clock uh, Zulu time clock and also of uh, the mentioned DX station which mine is showing looks like uh, if I can read this because its screen is tiny <laughs> <laughs> It's a green station, which is 4X-Ray 6 Tango Uniform, I think. Uh, and, yeah, it says what time it is there, and it says it's 317 there. So there you go, an Echo Papa 76. Um, so, yeah, and it constantly changes, and it's 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 pretty slick. And I know a lot of people have kind of played around with that application using it on their Raspberry Pis and stuff, and uh, I just wanted to look at it to see how easy it was to install and run, and, heck, it was... It was too easy, <laughs> so I'm gonna play around to get it configured so it actually uh, um, is, fills my entire screen on the tablet and maybe keep it plugged in all the time here in the ham shack, and then I'll have some use for the stupid tablet instead of, uh, you yeah, know, just playing around with it. But yeah, it, uh, it's it's really slick. It it is really neat. Um, so check it out if uh, you have a Raspberry Pi that's doing absolutely nothing with a screen on it. Uh, this would might be something you could use it for in the shack. And, uh yeah, so what else did I want to – I wanted to also mention the fact that uh, – which we, we didn't talk about. It. We talked about the fact that at the Ham Expo, we didn't do a video on Sunday, but we did do a video on Saturday. And our video on Saturday, we kind of went over a build that we pushed out to the server of uh, Ubuntu 2004.1, which was – we obviously just mentioned it as well being released – and we have a build of Ubuntu Budgie up there, of uh, 2004.1, with all the Ham Radio Pure Blend stuff installed, uh, CQR log, WSJTX, and uh, JSA call. Uh, just like all our other builds, it's just a updated version. And uh, we actually went through on the video that is up on YouTube right now of kind of Booting that live CD and installing it and just verifying that everything actually works and it uh, would make it real easy, like our other installs, to kind of get started. So um, that's our other little item that you can check out on the YouTubes. Yes, and we're hoping we have much more YouTubes information coming up soon.
1: And we've sort of started on a project to put all of our back episodes our back catalog from episode 300 on to YouTube, and we'll continue doing that going forward so that folks who want to follow the podcast using YouTube as a podcatcher will be able to do that, as well as get any of the additional YouTube content that we decide to push out, whatever that might be. So there you go. And lots of people have subscribed to YouTube thanks to the QSO Today Ham Expo, so more people will see all the junk we put up there. <laughs> <laughs> This so, is
3: where you send out a sympathy card to everybody. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um so that means since we have run out the the one topic we had there, ham clock, which actually I'm gonna try. It sounds interesting. So um I don't have I mean I have like two gig Raspberry Pi fours here. I don't think I'm gonna waste one on a clock. But. <laughs>
3: you can use my iPad, can't <laughs> you?
1: Well, no, because you, you can't, can't really use
3: my old iPad.
1: Now, how do you how do you compile it on an iPad? Um, I don't know. I don't think it'll. I don't want to try and make do the machinations to get Xcode to build this thing. So no, that, Xcode, that Xcode I, won't run on iPad.
3: Yeah, that yeah. iPad is now a paperweight because it's so. Stupid.
1: No, I'm not saying it would run on iPad, but to build it somewhere yeah, on no, something that. No, I'm talking to Bill. I'm not talking to you. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> uh, all right.
3: Fine. Talk to Bill. I don't care.
4: Wow. Everybody's gotten edgy all of a sudden. <laughs> <What>?
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. For those of you in our Discord, I'm actually just posting a quick uh, picture of my tablet running uh, ham clock so you can kind of see what it looks like on the cruddy tablet.
1: <laughs> hey, That's not bad. That's, that's a pretty, like you say, that's a pretty slick interface. I like it. So anyway... As you mentioned, oh, I'm just looking back at the chat room here. As you mentioned before, also easy to install on in the KM4 ACK build a pie. What's that? What's that? I don't know. I haven't answered KM4 ACK build a pie. I don't know what that is. KM4 Maybe we'll get an answer. ACK. So, anyway, we have come down almost to the end of the show, finally. And that means we have hit the social media roundup. So, are you ready to do the social media roundup? I guess. You guess? Okay. Well,. I hope you're ready because it's a big one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just looked at the list. So I'm thinking about retiring early.
1: Okay. Retire earlier or, or whatever you think you need to do. But okay. anyway, go for it.
3: Okay. So for our Patreons, we have Richard Gordon, Andy Webster, cubicle, Nate, Darren King, David Jakeway, Donald Gever, Douglas Redder, Erna Costalis, Herb Garcia, John Spriggs, Peter Caffrey, Paul Griffith, Randolph Smith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, William Heckelman, and Jonas Rulo. For subscriptions, we have Peter Spots, who is brand new, Robert Black, Randolph Smith, Robert Halliday, James List, Fred Cole, Michael Burdak, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ikey, Michael Conley, Steve Biella, Jim McKenzie, Dylan Engel, Johnny Kenzie, Robert Yerke, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Thor Wiegman, Todd Bowers, Kevin Ivey, John Clark, Bill Collins, Jeff Zimmerman, Tony Coberly, Roger Pereira, Jeffrey Boris, Michael Carey, Steve Hepler, and Michael Jobling. And
1: before you continue, I just want to say I think it's funny that I'm not going to give anything like personal away, but the email address for Peter Spots, our new mm-hmm. you know, benefactor. <laughs> uh he abbreviates his name P spots, <laughs> <So, laughs> and uh, I'm going to assume that's deliberate. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I thought that was that was so. kind
3: of funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta you gotta stand out. You gotta be unique. So there you go. <laughs> so for Facebook, we have a long list of new people. We have Greg Strawley, Doug Hinkst, Jerry Clo- Cloeter.
1: I would say closer,
3: or yeah, something, yeah, Some,
1: something along those lines. Yeah, yeah.
3: Rick Walter, Walter Furtak, excuse me, David Horvath, Robert Rodriguez, Joyce Paskey, Bob Doherty, Jason Brano, Bert Sharp, Joe Kaginsky, Shane Calligan, Garnet Ryder, Hudson Luce, and James Atkinson, and we have a long list on Twitter as well at W five BSG. At W or excuse me at ve3cj at Blind Hands at Fortuna uh, Reggie at Mal underscore W at Joe Hest sh at n0x90 at Popsicle2008 at Daniel Tickle at VB excuse me at VB Mike11 at Lex 21 b uh, that's actually pH two LB. Yeah, two LB. Excuse yeah. me, sir. No, yeah, it's, I mean, after I saw just, that, I was like, "That's that's not a one."
1: Yeah, the font's crazy. Yeah, but. the
3: font is crazy on our <laughs> on our pads. Uh, at old fool,
1: I like that one too. Yeah, old I like fool. that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> at halt se, at B, uh, B-H-H-O-O-V-S. At KD9FHJ. What do you mean? Why did
1: you not read that one? It's behooves. It's behooves. Yeah. Yeah. It's behooves. Behooves.
3: (laughs) All right. At KD9FHJ, at Robert R64, and at KC3NBR. For YouTube, we have Pablo Sabag, Eric Venade, at W0CES, John B, at Garnet Ryder.
1: These are are not ads. This is YouTube.
3: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's they okay. They start over again. Apparently, we're
1: all just uh, our up brains a, are scrambled. Yeah, yeah
3: it's, it's been a long time. I'm not night. surprised, actually. Yeah. So. Okay. So let me start that over again. On YouTube, we have Pablo Sabog at at Wow. <laughs> <laughs> start <laughs> Shut up, Bill. <Mel.
1: laughs> it's like the. It's like what happens when people who are not on Jeopardy
4: say, "What is? Yeah exactly. What is Sabag? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pablo Sabog.
3: Yeah, exactly. On YouTube, we have Pablo Sabog." We have Eric Venade. Uh, uh, we have... yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: I want to go to bed, okay? Uh, on YouTube, we have Pablo Sabac. We have
1: you don't Eric. have to keep starting over, because I'm not cutting any of this.
3: Oh, so just, well, uh, no, you're going to cut out the... No, the...
1: no, no, <laughs> no. It's too good.
3: Fine. Fine. It's too you know what I'm thinking about both of you right now, too. <laughs> we have Eric Venade... We have W0CES, John B., Garrett Ryder, Eric Gray, Chris McDevitt, Charlie Ski9, Isaac Kuntz, Ed Whitcomb, and Michael Ramsey. On the mailing list, we have Nick Van Duffelen. Merchandise sells, we have Isaac Geyer, Sam Burns, and Matheson Ott.
1: All right. Finally got through it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, everyone will enjoy it when they hear it. So. Yeah, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Thanks,
3: everybody. <laughs>
1: so, anyway, we've come down to the end of the show. That's the social media roundup. We want to thank all of the people who came to us via the QSO today, Ham Expo, and who have signed up even if they didn't know what the QSA today, Ham Expo, actually is. Um, and we're, like we said, our Discord community is booming and we have lots of people hanging out and so there's lots more to participate in if you are a discord user which you should be links to all of that stuff is on the website
3: and i'm sure before morning there's going to be something about lhs make fun of cheryl
1: (laughs) (laughs) we we make fun of ourselves equally because because we all suck at this yeah well that's that's what 11 years in the game will do for you anyway So before we run out of here, we should mention the folks who are with us in the chat room tonight. We had Tony K4XSS, Tom N4HAI, Jason KM4QWM, Stacy KB7YS, Darren VK60K, and Steve K7HVT. So thanks, everybody, who joined us for the live recording. And we will see you for the next episode, episode number 361, which will be the Weekender. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the 54th edition of the Weekender. So you want to tune in for that. And you want to find out about all the upcoming things that you can do to enjoy this life we live. In the meantime,
3: thanks everybody once again,
1: and we'll catch you all next time. This has been episode number 360 of Linux in the Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
3: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
1: And I'm
4: Bill, NE4RD73.